to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, Episode 89. Today, mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with Malcolm Lemons, former professional basketball player and entrepreneur, to talk about his basketball journey and how he transitioned out of sport into a life of entrepreneurship. Malcolm shares his story of adversity from his book, Lessons from the Game, and why it is important to educate athletes on how to develop a plan for life after sport. Hey, Malcolm, how are you? I'm doing great, Grant. How are you? Doing awesome, man. I'm I'm really excited to have you on my show for a lot of reasons. Uh, talk about just your mindset when you were a professional athlete or professional basketball player and Talk about that journey or the journey you went through, and then also talk about transitioning out of sport and talking about things that you're getting into right now as far as being an entrepreneur, writing books, being a podcast host, and all these other things that you're doing. So I'm really excited to kind of share your journey and your thought process with my listeners today. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate you having me on the show. Beautiful. Well, I always start this uh, podcast with this question about mental toughness. So what does mentally tough mean to you? So that's a really good question to ask. I think when I was younger and I was actually still playing basketball, when, when I would hear coaches talk about being mentally tough, I would think of, you know, doing the things that uh, other athletes aren't willing to do. So diving for the loose balls, taking the charges, um, keeping your composure when the refs may be trying to take you out of the game. So I've always known it to be those things, doing the little things, doing the things that uh, other athletes may not want to do, but it's what separates you and differentiates you as an athlete and kind of gives you that that edge over your competition. So mentally tough is, is all about doing the small things that people might overlook, but they essentially mean the most when it comes down to uh, winning the game. And in sports, you know, it's a, it's a game of, of inches. So it's the little things that you do on a consistent basis um, that, that gives you that edge over, over your competition. I love it. I love it. It's, it's controlling your effort and, and controlling the controllables, controlling what you can control, right? Like controlling the extra effort, controlling your composure, um, and staying in the, the middle of that hurricane, in the eye of the hurricane where it's really calm. So I, I, love, that, I love that answer. Now, when you think about going back through your high school, collegiate, and also professional career as a basketball player. Was there a moment where you were mentally tough? Can you share that a moment where it defined a game or defined your career as far as being mentally tough? I'm trying to think. I, I would say my entire high school career, I was known as that that player, that guy who was always willing to do whatever it took to win. I wasn't the most talented athlete. I wasn't the most athletic. I didn't score all the points, but I was always willing to go in there and get my hands dirty and, and to get a rebound if we needed a rebound. So I would say like um, throughout my entire high school career being, you know, a six, three, four, man, I'm, I'm playing against guys who are six, 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 seven, um, you know, high division one prospects. And, I was willing to go in there and battle and fight and scrap and, you know, tear and claw in order to win. So I, I would say being mentally tough um, just defined me as a player. Uh, and I, I can't even think about a particular moment because there's so many times where, um, you know, just doing the little things kind of got me the edge over over my competition. As I talked about earlier, 
um, and helped us really become uh, a powerhouse in high school as far as uh, the conference we played in and, and, and playing on a national schedule um, against some high-level competition. So uh, I would say that that word probably defined me as a basketball player my entire career. Now, outside of that word, mentally tough, and describe, and you just described kind of the kind of basketball player you are, but if there was another word outside of being mentally tough, what would be like one word that would describe your mindset as a basketball player? Gritty. Gritty. I would definitely say gritty. Um, I would say that when, when I was playing, um, it was all about uh, helping the team win in any way possible. So it was, I didn't, I never took a, a, a selfish perspective or, or a mindset like I had to get mine to uh, score all these points or always have the ball in my hands. It was like, what does the team need at any, any given moment? And how can I deliver on that? Uh, to help us, you know, progress and move forward and win this game or or get to the championship or wherever the, the ultimate team goal is. So I always took that mindset and carried that, carried that mindset throughout my entire career. Um, and there was times when I got to college and, and I needed to be the go-to scorer, but it was all about, you know, putting us as a team in a position to win the game. And it was never, um, you know, about me or, or my stats. It was about being the grittiest player in any way possible to help us win the game or, or advance us in any way possible team. And where do you think you de- like developed this gritty mindset? Where do you think this came from? I think that's a really good question because I, I, I can't really point it. I would say that partially it, it growing, I, I think I subconsciously knew I wasn't <laughs> the most like I was talented or, or just complete athlete um but I worked hard I always worked hard and I knew that that was something that my mom instilled in my brother and I uh on and off in and out of sports and any sport we play she always stressed the notion of of you know effort and attitude and control and like you said controlling with control and I think being gritty being mentally tough and working hard those are all uh components that align with one another and kind of fall in line when it comes to uh, being an athlete, you know, if you're gritty, you're willing to work hard 100% of the time, also mentally tough. So I think those things were kind of ingrained in me outside of sports, and I just kind of carried them uh, throughout my life that way. You know, and, and I know I've, I've asked a, a few, you know, there's a few questions I've asked already about, you know, going back to your career and, you know, looking at the times where you're mentally tough. But, you know, I'm going to ask you again for your whole career, and this is a this is a two-part question. And when you when you reflect on your career, what was the maybe the biggest mental win, and what was your your biggest mental fail, and how did you overcome this fail? But when you think about a mental win, like that moment in a game where because that you did the right things mentally, you persevered in that moment, um, and then share that you know the biggest mental fail. I would say that my biggest mental win. Um, would probably be, I think it was my sophomore year or junior year playing in college. Um, we were playing against, I went to Niagara University and we were playing against a, a team called Loyola University uh, and in the overtime. And I actually hadn't played a, a much that game. I hadn't made, played much that season because I had been hurt, um, had a bad ankle injury. So I was in and out. Um, my confidence was kind of blown and shot because 
I had freshmen playing over me. I was getting into it with the coach. So it wasn't just – it wasn't a good season for me uh, basketball-wise. Um, I think we were in the second half of the season, and we have this game, and we go into overtime with Loyola, and they put me in the game. And it's about seconds left. Uh, we're dead to – I get the ball. I just head drive to the basket, get fouled. Uh, miss the layup, but uh, I go to the free throw line, and I knock down both free throws. And we go into overtime, a double double overtime, and we end up losing on a on a buzzer beater. But that that moment kind of reassured me that I was a good basketball player, to be honest. Because I think you know, with that whole season, just with the ups and downs, and and kind of going through that adversity, I, my confidence was was really low, and I didn't. Uh, I kind of lost the hope in my game and what I could do as an athlete. But that moment kind of reassured. Uh, my abilities and and my, that confidence in myself, and I was able to carry that over even when I left Niagara and uh, transferred my senior year. So I would say that was probably one moment where um, I was down and and just having that confidence and that belief in myself in that moment to get to just drive to the basket and, and try to make something happen so we could win. And being able to knock down those two free throws to go into double overtime, even though we lost that game, I was able to gain something out of that experience and carry that over to where um, yeah, I have a rebuilt confidence and a built assurance in myself and my talent as, as an athlete. Um, and as far as a, a mental loss, whew. <laughs> <laughs> Got to think about that one. <laughs> um, man, I would say... I would say as far as a mental loss, uh, my senior year of college, after I transferred, um, we were playing against UCLA, and uh, I came out the gates really hot, hit a bunch of threes, and you know we we were down we were down by like twenty, so it wasn't like a you know, hard game, hard, tough game for us to, to lose. But I would say that that experience right there, even though I played well, it was kind of, you know, sent me back a little bit. And really, you know, I didn't I didn't know my place in basketball at that point in time and, and kind of had to figure my way throughout there. I would say that at that point in time, I didn't really uh, know where my career was going. I was kind of unsure of myself as an athlete because um, I had just transferred. So, uh, if I would, if I could pinpoint one point, I can't really think of a specific time, but that that moment where we played UCLA my senior year, I would say that was a mental loss just for a quick second. But we ended up having, uh, you know, a pretty good season overall, even after we we had that pretty bad beat down from them. Well, so when you go into a game like that against UCLA, um, and and please in a second here share who was on that team on the UCLA team because there's always great players that come out of that program. But when when you go against a team like that, how did you mentally prepare to play a team like that, or did you just show up and just trust your skills? Um, I would say that it was, you know, the, the coaches try their best to get us prepared for a game like that. But uh, you know, you're you're playing a, a top caliber. Like a lot of those guys, I think you know, Zach Levine was on that team, Norman Powell, uh, Kyle Anderson. Tony Park. I mean, guys who went first, second round in the, in the next year in the NBA. Uh, there's only so much you can do to prepare for a team like that when you're a small NAI school. Right. Um, that, but the that year. So, 
um, you know, we, we had scouting report, we watched film and, and, and all of that, but you know, you, and you, you try to do as much as possible just to get ready for the game. And then when the ball goes up, uh, you, you know, you do what you've been doing your whole life. You, you try to get out there. And, and as we talked about before, you try to scrap and you try to call and you try to do whatever is possible to at least keep within reach um, and to make the game competitive. Uh, and so even though we ended up losing by like 30 points, uh, I would say it was the building blocks to really help us propel throughout the season to give us that kind of that boost, um, you know, going forward that, you know, even though we didn't have our best showing against this team, we can still uh, learn from this experience and carry those lessons over to, you know, our next game and the rest of the season. Well, you know what I love about your biggest mental win is that, you know, especially you get into that moment where your your confidence is not high, but you showed up in the moment. You trusted yourself. You were vulnerable with your play, right? You didn't second-guess yourself. You just showed up in the moment. And I love it that you, you can go back to your career and say, even though we lost and even it was double, double overtime, it was still a mental win. And I think when athletes, when their confidence is down, and, and you know, and I, I literally have gotten this from my, my mentor, Graham Betchart, but, you know, he calls this, you know, he calls this success where if you go 0 for 12 and you have the game winning shot and you shoot it and still miss it, he goes, that's success. Because if you if you're 0 for 12 and you're second guessing yourself and you're not being vulnerable, you're not showing up and you pass the ball, you're going to be waking up the next morning, kicking yourself going, why did I take this shot? And he goes, and so that's success. And so I love it that you can go back to your career and share that as a mental win. Yeah, for sure. Because um, so like I said before, I, I just, at the time, I didn't feel like I believed and trusted in my ability as an athlete. And even just in that moment, thinking that, you know, I have the ball in my hands and I can make something happen for us to win this game, I think was, was huge for my confidence. Um, and like you said, it was a win. It was a win going forward and kind of gave me that, uh, you know, belief that I can still play this game at a high level and, you know, compete and do what I need to do in order to propel my career forward. You know, and, and you and I have talked a few times in the past about your career and, you know, and, and some of the things that, you know, maybe scouts or the people said, like, you're not tall enough, you're not fast enough. Do you think when you hear those things throughout your journey as a basketball player, was that what kind of motivated your grit and motivated your mental toughness is hearing those type of statements? Yeah, I think for sure. I think being overlooked, um, you know, like I, I played a very, very high level of basketball in high school, um, played against a lot of guys who are currently playing in the NBA and not being mentioned in the conversations with those guys, even though I was playing against them on, on a, you know, every night basis, um, it, it drove me. It, it motivated me to continue working harder to, uh, you know, stay the course and kind of, you know, put in the work even when I didn't have the same type of offers, when, you know, schools weren't really looking at me. I knew that I could play with those guys. I knew that, um, you know, I, I could do the same thing that those guys were doing. And so that definitely drove me to, to be the type of athlete that I was and, um, like I said before, my mom instilled work ethic in me from a young age, so I was never afraid to work hard. I was never afraid to get in the trenches and um, just to do whatever it took to achieve becoming a professional athlete. Um, so, you know, having that that 
show my shoulder was really important and vital to my success as an athlete. And, you know, you've, you've shared this with me in some of our conversations, and I, and I want you to share this with, with my listeners. But when you talk about the talent that you were competing against and with at the high school level, share with the listeners of some of the people that you were actually competing with from week to week that are in the NBA right now. Man, so played against, I used to go against Victor Oladipo. Um, you know, he's probably played, me and him played against each other. You know, we both played the same position, so we used to guard each other. Uh, Quinn Cook was on that team, currently playing with the Lakers. Um, Jeremy Grant, uh, he's in the NBA, Jerry and his brother. Uh, a lot of guys who are playing overseas. Um, you know, even some guys who played in the NFL. So it was it was a ton of players in my conference, uh, which is called the Washington Athletic uh, Catholic League. Um, and that conference is is highly competitive year in and year out. Um, and so, you know, you really had to bring your game every single night. You couldn't take it. was It was like playing Division One basketball. You're playing against high-level competition every single game. And there was no – it was no slacking. So – uh, that playing in that league really prepared me for what Division One basketball was going to be like, um, even though I didn't really know it at the time because uh, it was kind of normal. But uh, those guys, I mean, everybody in that league is either played overseas, it seems like, or in the NBA or in the NFL or some high-level basketball or, or sports. So uh, it was an incredible opportunity and experience. And, you know, I, I, I certainly – uh, think that has helped me in more, more ways than one competing against those guys. So, absolutely, man. And and with re, with regards to preparation, and this is kind of a, a two part a two part question. You know, when you think about you know, especially in high school, you talk about the talent that you had to compete against, also at the uh, at the collegiate level and also at the professional level. How did you prepare for these games mentally? And then was there a difference in the way that you prepared for practices versus the games? So one thing I kind of wish I would have done is, is had a better routine or understanding of how to prepare. I think, you know, when you're a high school kid, you don't really understand the magnitude of getting ready for a game. You kind of just throw on your headphones, joke around with your teammates, and, you know, you just get ready to play. When you get to college, it gets a little more serious. There's a little more prep involved where you're watching film you're studying the scouting reports um but personally what i would have done is is had um you know wish, wish i would have been more aware of getting my mindset prepared to go into a game maybe by meditating maybe by time um you know visualizing what i want to happen in this game and, and having some intention behind that uh so i would say that uh, I didn't really have a concrete routine or system for how I prepare for any game. It was kind of just go with the flow, um, you know, throw on your headphones and, and, you know, get on the court, get some shots or whatever. But it was never like an intentional moment where I sat back and I thought about what I want to get out this game or how would this play go or where do I see myself in this position um, and I wish I would have been more intentional about that or at least had some type of uh, understanding of why that's so important as an athlete to do. Well, and do you think, you know, throughout just in high school, you know, your college and also at the professional level, do you feel like just because 
maybe you didn't have the opportunity to, to create that routine and, and, and have meditation and visualization part of your routine is because you weren't exposed to it. Because right now in NBA, it seems like the, the sports psychology and the mental game is, is a real, it's a, it's a forefront topic right now. And, and almost every NBA team has almost a, a mental skills trainer on staff. Do you feel like it just, it just wasn't exposed to you? Absolutely. I, I, I definitely don't think it was stressed enough. I think I had a lot of old school coaches, so coaches who uh, were all about, you know, playing hard and, and getting on the court and, you know, doing what you needed to do in, in any way possible to win. But there wasn't an emphasis on thinking the game. And I think that's part of the reason, um, you know, why, uh, you know, athletes are, are the way they are now. There's such an emphasis on the physical nature and, and the, the talent aspect when majority of the game is your thought process, your mindset, um, your, you know, how do you, how do you, do you know how to play the game and things of those natures. And so um, I, I certainly don't think it was exposed to me and we didn't really have an understanding of that until, you know, until I got older and I started to, uh, meet people such as yourself and, and research and learn about sports psychology and uh, learn about how to control your mind and, and things of that nature and your attitude. And so um, I think that's part of the problem with athletes nowadays is that they aren't exposed to those tactics and it hinders them in some aspects as far as being the, the best athlete that they can be. Absolutely. You know, and this is a general statement because I've worked with so many different teams and athletes, and and I've actually, you know, I grew up in the old school mentality of of you know being they're great coaches, but they were just old school coaches, for the most part, not all of them. But when I see coaches that are transformational, there's for the most part they're they're bought into this work, they're bought into mental skills training and sports psychology. Um, and they make sure that their their program has access to it. And again, there's a lot of other transformational coaches that are not really behind mental skills. There, there's other things that they do that makes them transformational. But I just see I see that as of today in in, in today's sport or sports that transformational coaches are are buying into this this skill or this process. Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely saying you know more coaches being open-minded to these tactics, these methods, um, and they're seeing how it can, you know, help their players improve uh, on and off the, the playing field. So I think it's, it's a shift that's slowly happening, but with any new uh, emerging trend or, or new methods, there's always going to be people who um, are opposed to it or don't feel, you know, strongly about its ability to actually work. Um, but, you know, I, I do see it changing and hopefully it's going to continue to change in the future. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, a couple questions before we, we get into, you know, into your transition out of sport. And I love asking these questions because I think these questions are real with all athletes at all levels. It doesn't matter if you're elite or if you're a youth athlete, you're dealing with this stuff. So when you're, when you're thinking about energy and energy management, nerves, if you will, did you get nervous before your games? And if you did, how did you deal with that energy, that nervousness? Yeah, I got nervous before every game. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would say that it's part, part, partly natural. Uh, you know, you get those butterflies in your stomach, and I think it's more you're just excited or anxious to, to get on the court and just get going. Um, so I didn't really do much with it. I kind of just let it be there. And then once the ball went up, uh, I was good to go. I didn't really feel any nervousness. 
you know, it's secondhand nature at that point. Um, but I, I still get nervous when I'm playing pickup or in a, in a, in a men's league or anything like that. Uh, but I think it's just pure excitement. I, when you have confidence in what you're doing and you put in the work, um, ever have a, a real fear to step on the court and compete because uh, you've prepared for that moment. You've put in the work. You've done what you needed to do beforehand. Um but those butterflies, I feel like they're always going to be there. And they can even be helpful and beneficial in some aspects, um, you know, because you can use that to kind of motivate you to not want to fail or not want to mess up um, and, and to kind of propel you to, to work harder and to not take any plays off. So I think if, you know, any athlete is feeling those nerves, is, is to kind of use that energy in reverse and use that to kind of push you to, play that much harder so you don't fail or you don't you know uh do something you don't want to do out there so I think that's important but for me personally I just kind of let those nerves be there and then just go out there and just do my thing when, when whenever the ball goes up right yeah I mean, when I played I was always nervous too and and it's funny that what I've learned now after all these years of coaching and in doing mental performance coaching is that I, I'm putting that message out there to all my athletes that when you feel nervous, it's a good thing. Like tell yourself it is a good thing. And, and it's funny when you bring up the word excitement because, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of athletes that, and I think more on the, you know, high school level, they feel that nerves are, it's a negative thing. It's, um, and so for them to have that, that reframe and different perspective and different conversation with themselves that, you know, Hey, it's okay to be nervous because your body's telling you you're getting ready to perform. And also, are you are you nervous? Or are you excited? And it's funny because I, I asked that I asked that question to a veteran fencer. Oh, I've been working with her for about three years, and it was about a year and a half ago, year year and a half ago. Or so, and when I asked her, I said, "How you feeling?" And she's like, "Man, I'm so anxious. I'm so nervous." And I'm like, "Are you nervous? Or are you excited?" And she looked at me, and she'd been fencing for years, and she goes. I can be excited. And it was in that moment, I was like, holy smokes. I'm like, yeah. I mean, don't you love this yeah. sport? Yeah. Well, then let's get joyous. Let's tap into our joy. Let's not tap into like the fear, doubt, and worry. Like, let's let's get into now and let's get excited. And it was just funny because it changed the way she fenced that whole day. Mm. Yeah, I, I definitely think, you know, there's, there's athletes who don't really understand uh, how the mind works and you know you you're not exposed to, to those methods and 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 the different levels of your emotion and how you can utilize that it's just like it's an eye-opening experience at times so I can relate to that right or saying that for sure for sure well pressure uh, you know we we feel pressure especially in sport um, and we feel pressure all the time in 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 life and in the workplace, but when you when you think about the word pressure, like how did you deal with pressure when you when you competed, and, and was it something that you embraced and welcomed? Uh, I think I learned to do that as I got older. Um, you know, I kind of used pressure to. I think it, it, it's kind of similar to having those butterflies. You know, you kind of use pressure to motivate you even more, to inspire you to work harder, and to not look at it as like this is do or die, or if I mess up, like everything is ruined. Look at it as like, this is an opportunity that I'm, even though I'm uncomfortable um, or it feels like unfamiliar for me, or, you know, I'm uneasy, 
you know, you can use that to kind of push you further and kind of motivate you to work harder and to uh, continue, you know, drive, driving forward to go right towards that pressure and to, to utilize it. So I think um, I'm always willing to put myself in situations where I not I might not be the most confident um, or might feel, you know, a little unease, but, you know, utilizing that pressure or that, you know, that possible fear of failure um, in reverse and, and kind of using that as inspiration uh, was something that I learned to do as I got older as an athlete. Yep. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, you know, when I played, I was very extrinsic, extrinsically motivated. I have, external motivators were huge for me uh, when I was younger. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't about being internally motivated. It was externally motivated. And as I got more into my into my career as a quarterback, I started to uh, enjoy the pressure and then enjoy pushing myself versus trying to like work for something outside of me or trying to appease something outside of me. So, you know, I agree as, as I move forward in my career, I, I had a different relationship with pressure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So transitioning out of sport, again, this is huge and real for pretty much any athlete, whether they're transitioning out of high school, college, the Olympics, professional sport, it's going to happen for all of us that are, that are athletes. And so when you transition out of sport into an entrepreneur, to all these cool things you're doing right now, how much of your experience as an athlete prepared you to be an entrepreneur, an author, a podcast host, a keynote speaker, and the list goes on? How did it get you ready for all this? I would say it helped me in a number of ways, but the biggest thing that I took away was the tangible skills that I learned from sports. I think a lot of times athletes don't understand that, you know, you've been playing a sport your entire life. And even though you might not have much experience doing anything outside of that, you've gained so many traits along the way that are applicable to any other area of life um, that you can think of. And so, you know, when I think about those traits, leadership, uh, communication, teamwork, uh, you know, being organized, you know, little things such as that, you know, just being resilient, you know, knowing how to set goals. These are all things that you can apply to your career um, and to different areas of your life once you're done playing your sport. So I would say knowing how to utilize and tap into the skills and at what what role do they play a part in your life is is absolutely crucial and it's something that really helped me as I got older and started to think about what I wanted to do, what I wanted to transition into, and uh, my life going forward outside of being an athlete. You know, it's, it's all about tapping into those skills and knowing how to utilize them in the right way. Um, and and when you do, you're you'll be you'll have a leg up even though, even though you don't have the same experiences people. Those skills are still coveted by employers, by, you know, people in, in other areas of your life, as I said before. So uh, knowing how to tap back into that and learning how your experiences as an athlete can be carried over to anything else you want to do. Yes, 100 percent. And, you know, when, when I asked that question and, and you were getting to your answer, I was thinking in my head, like, you know, what are the things that I got? You know, what were the attributes that I took from from all of sports, but also football and I would say that 95, 97% of what you were saying, exactly what I would, I would say the same thing. It's, um, mm-hmm. it just, it, it set me up, uh, especially in the roles that I, I held in the workplace. I had to be a leader. I had to communicate. 
I had to be organized and set goals. You know, I had to be gritty and I had to be resilient and all these things. And there's no way that I could have done all that uh, if I didn't have the experience as an athlete. So all the points that you were talking about are very relevant um, life after sport. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, your transition, like your transition, because there's a lot of great stories out there and there's a lot of horrific ones. Um, I don't know if mine is more or less horrific, but I think the way that I dealt with my transition, uh, it was a career-ending injury that, that really, over time, over two decades, it really uh, derailed me and my confidence and my identity. I don't know if it was horrific, but it was definitely difficult. How was your transition out of sport? Was it difficult? Was it smooth? And was your identity wrapped up in being this basketball player? I would say my identity was wrapped up in being a basketball player, but unintentionally. So I, I think growing up, I knew I didn't want to play basketball for, you know, I wanted to be a professional athlete, but I didn't see that being a long-term career per se. So I knew I wanted to do other things. I just didn't know what else I wanted to do. And so going through the transition, it, for me, it happened by accident and a little earlier than I expected it to because um, I was actually supposed to be going into my third year playing overseas and I had a deal to go play in Morocco. And two days before I'm supposed to leave, um, the team basically tells me they didn't want me anymore. So here I am, you know, it's, it's December of I say 2016 maybe. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I've been doing this, professional basketball thing for about two and a half years now um you know it's it's unstable it's inconsistent it's volatile you know i don't know when whether i'm getting paid um you know at any given time so it was just a lot of inconsistency and, and instability i wasn't okay with and after that experience i kind of decided i own to walk away from the game uh, now with that being said even though i kind of had some type of direction of what i wanted to do um, I didn't really know how to go about doing it. And so that's really where the struggle came into play because you can have that direction, but if you don't have guidance or somebody to bounce your ideas off or somebody to mentor you or even just a blueprint, you know, you're still going to struggle. And so uh, the, the next several years up until now, you know, I've, I've tried a bunch of different things, started companies, businesses, and, and failed and, and just got my hands dirty, worked a bunch of odd jobs uh, to support myself, but all of that in the means to figure out who I am outside of being an athlete, to not have my identity tied up in that one thing. And it's even hard because you have people, um, you know, whether they're in your immediate circle or just friends who only know you as that one thing. So, you know, when you're out in public or, you know, you go to an event and people ask you, well, you know, are you still playing or, you know, why are you not playing? Why are you not overseas? Or, that stuff like that kind of things that still kind of gets to you because subconsciously you still have your identity wrapped up in that one thing, even though you know you don't want it to be that one thing. Right. And so I would say the transition was still difficult for me, even though I had somewhat of an idea of who I was outside of the game. It was still going through um, that trial and error period where I'm trying to really figure out what do I want to do with the rest of my life or how do I go about even figuring out you know, what was the blueprint for me? Yeah. You know, what what do I do to figure this out? And so spending the next several years trying different things and just exploring, just 
exploring life and trying to, um, you know, pinpoint careers headed uh, as a professional was, was still difficult. Like I said, even though I kind of had a destination in mind. Mm. Well, and I love it because it's, it's like when you said exploring, I also like to say discovery. And it's, and I think with athletes is allowing yourself, you know, it's, it's okay. You're going to go through a process. That identity as an athlete, that might be a quick process or it might be a long process, but also allowing this space for you to explore and discover, discover what's cool. Because for me, it took me almost two decades after I left football to really truly find what I truly wanted to do. Now, I had to go through a lot of pain to get to where I was, and that's part of my journey, and that's okay. I'm okay with it now. I wasn't when I was going through it. But I learned so much from that experience. And and so I, I'm going to kind of segue a little bit into your book. I know you're writing another book now as we speak. But, you know, as you moved on from the game of basketball and you started a, you started a consulting business, you wrote a book, Lessons from the Game, created a podcast called Player's Point. So and I know this is kind of going to be maybe a few different answers for all those three different things. But what motivated you to create your own company, write a book, and create a podcast? So I would say for the for the book, first and foremost, that kind of happened by accident. You know, um, I was overseas my second year playing overseas in Japan, and I came in the middle of the year, and we had a bit of a break. So I don't think we played. We had any games for about three weeks, and we just were practicing maybe two hours of the day. And the rest of the day, I had it myself, and I, I got any Wi-Fi. Um, I was just trying to get myself situated in the town. Um, and so I'm sitting there and I have a computer and I started to think about well, how did I get to this point in my life? You know, kind of reflecting on my experiences and some of the obstacles I went through as an athlete. And through that reflection period, I started to write. And I had always wrote as, um, you know, instead of therapy just because I enjoyed doing it. But I found that through that that you know, looking in, internally and thinking about my past, I started to kind of convey that onto the page. And, you know, through months and months of writing and, and sharing what I was writing with people, um, someone suggested that, you know, I had a pretty good story and that I should write a book. And I had never thought about being an author, you know, before that, but um, went through that whole process. So that's kind of how the, the first book happened for me. And then I kind of discovered my love, my true love for writing and, and um, why it was one of my strengths. Uh, and then for the, for the podcast that kind of happened out of just through the conversations that I was having with athletes and some of my friends, I would say that um, I wanted to also build relationships within the sports industry. I, I was coming in contact with all these people and I wanted to dive deeper into their stories and also share those stories with other people because I felt how impactful and valuable it was to hear these things and to let people um, know about transitioning and mental health and how to build yourself and your identity outside of being an athlete and all these different topics I wanted to share with people and, you know, share these athlete stories. Um, so the podcast kind of came from that. And then uh, it was also with the consulting um, that I was having conversations and seeing kind of what was missing from certain athletes' lives, whether that, you know, they needed help with um, social media or developing digital marketing tactics. And so 
providing those type of services and really helping athletes who um, I had either played with or come into contact with. Uh, it all kind of just snowballed from there. And, um, you know, through that, you know, I kind of discovered that, you know, every athlete really has a story to tell. Everyone has a story to tell. And, you know, it's so vital for you to share these messages and, and to provide your experiences to the world because of the difference that it can make in one person's life. And I kind of noticed that with my book and, and my platform that I knew I wasn't going to become a, a best-selling author, but I knew that putting my story out into the world and sharing that and, and really relaying those experiences and what I went through was, was at least going to change one person's life and make a difference in the next generation of athletes who was going to come up and maybe go through the same things that I did. And so all of that has kind of been my mission behind why I do what I do um, is really providing that inspiration, that guidance and that, you know, that leadership for the next generation to understand um, what it's, what it really means to be an athlete, but also how to use what you learn as an athlete and transfer over those things to anything else you want to do in life. Absolutely. You know, and I, I think the more that I've had, athletes like yourself on my show to talk about transition out of sport. I think the higher you get, the levels that you advance, you know, collegiate, professional, Olympians, as you get more into that and you're actually, if you have more longevity at a at an elite level, I, I believe, and it's been this way, at least on my show, it's just I listen to these stories and they're awesome stories, but it's harder to transition because you've been doing, especially if you're an Olympian, and you've been an Olympian for a long time. That's what you do. That is who you are. You're doing that, you know, every single day, every year to get prepared for that moment. So I think it's awesome that you share your story and, and share other people's stories because this is real. I went through it. I think almost every teammate that, I've, that I still connect with, they've gone through it. They have a different story and it needs to be heard. So it's, it's awesome. You know, and also, you know, switching gears a little bit, when you think about the things that you're getting into, writing a book, uh, creating a company, having a podcast, what do you think is the the hardest thing for you that you've dealt with? Because I know having a podcast, and you and I have talked about it, it's very tedious and demanding. But what was the hardest thing that you've had to deal with as far as transitioning out of an athlete and creating these these books and companies and podcasts? That, that's a really good question. I would say um, I, I, I had a conversation with um, Kelvin Beecham, who was one of the, the linemen for the New York Jets, and something that he told me always sticks with me to this day, and it was to keep the main thing the main thing. And he does that in his life, even though he has a lot of philanthropic endeavors that he participates in and a lot of investments. He keeps football at the forefront. And so – I think for me, it was trying to figure out what my main thing was, what was going to be my bread and butter thing that I can do that's going to make everything else kind of turn on its own. And so um, trying to pinpoint what that was, I'm still trying to kind of pinpoint what it is, but it's a it's an ever-evolving process uh, to kind of hone in on your, your main thing and, and keep that at the forefront of whatever else you might be doing and let those other activities um, or the things outside of the main thing, uh, you know, kind of complement what your main thing is. So trying to figure that out and, and really hone in and get focused on that had, has, has been a struggle for me 
the past couple of years when there's so many different opportunities you can take advantage of and so many different options out here uh, when it comes to business and trying to grow your brand or, or uh, do things of that nature. So really trying to get focused and clear on uh, what direction I'm going in and what's going to be my, you know, my bread and butter has, a, has been a struggle the past couple of years. Yeah. You know, and I, I share that. I, I had to go through that same process too. I, I feel that I've, I've connected with that bread and butter and I've, co- I've connected with that frequency. And now I feel like I'm, I, you know, I'm heading in the right direction. And now with you, you have so many talents. So, you know, from writing and speaking and podcasting and running business. So there's a lot of things there's, which is great. A lot of options for you. Right. But just figuring out what's the best one for you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then, I would say that usually people pinpoint it by figuring out what's the thing that's paying you the paying the bills. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. <laughs> the thing that, yeah, thing that's bringing in the most money is usually the main thing. So, um, that, that'll tell you what type of business you're really in. <laughs> right. Is, is that something though? Like if you found, you know, I think this is a good question and a good thing to talk about. Um, you know, could you see yourself, you know, connecting and spending more time with something that resonates with you as a person that's connected with your core values and beliefs, but doesn't give you as much money as something that doesn't probably align with your core values. Yeah, I think it's a balance uh, between the two. And it can be difficult to find. I always say that you, you know, if you want to follow your passion or do the thing that you love to do, it has to fall in line with the market fit. So it has to be something that uh, people will actually pay you for and pay you enough to where you can make a sustainable living with it. It doesn't have to, you don't have to turn everything into, you know, a six figure business. But if you could, you know, say you, you love to speak and you can get paid a couple thousand a month to, uh, you know, speak, go out and have speaking opportunities or uh, something of that nature, then you, you don't need all of the money you might think you need, you just need enough to sustain the lifestyle that you're living. So whatever your passion is, it just has to make you enough to where you could, uh, you know, live with the the amount of money that it pays you. So I think, you know, when people talk about doing what you love or, you know, following your passion, yeah, you can, but it also has to make sense. It also has to be something that people are being willing to pay for, um, and something that can sustain the lifestyle that you're living. For sure. Yeah, I think it's a great point, for sure. One more question before we sign off here. You know, When you think about reflecting on your whole life, everything that you've gone through up until this point, you know, as an entrepreneur and as an athlete, what do you think you've learned the most about yourself? It's a great question. The most I learned about myself. I would say that um, that I welcome that I welcome adverse I welcome uncomfortable situations and adversity a lot more than other people. So I think part of my success is that, or one of my strengths is that I don't really take into consideration or care about the outcomes. I'm more focused on doing and then just being okay with whatever that the result is and learning from that. And so with me starting companies and failing and doing a podcast and writing a book, like a lot of people 
don't understand how I'm able to do all these things at such a young age. But to me, it's a testament to just putting my head down and doing the work and not worrying about the outcome or the result or what people might think or what people might say or any judgment or opinions. It's all about me kind of being in that bubble and anything, any obstacle or anything that I have to overcome, I'm willing to go through it. I'm willing to learn from it and I'm willing to take what I learned and carry that over to the next endeavor. And so I think that's always been a strength of mine is to not be, not be afraid to just try not be afraid to go after something um, and to, to just learn from it and to, uh, you know, just carry it over until, to the next thing that you want to do. And so I've always found that to be a strength. A lot of people, I think, overthink and strategize and plan and debate without just taking action. So I would say it just boils down to me just taking action um, by any means. Wow. You know, to my listeners, you know, just listening to Malcolm, that is the, that is the example of playing present in life, right? We, we're not worried about outcomes. We're not worrying about you know, winning uh, results. We're we're playing present. We're in the here and now. We're showing up. We're being vulnerable, and we're going. And we and we're welcoming welcoming failing failures. I mean, if we want to be successful, we have to have a relationship with failures, and failing. So the fact that you're you're on this journey, and and adversity, man, I'm with you on adversity. I it took me a while because I was living in adversity for such a long time that. Man, it's if you want to grow, you want to get better. You've you've gotta you've gotta like welcome adversity. It makes you better. And plus, I you know it's to me it's it's in a weird odd way because I went through it, a lot of it. Um, I think it's kind of fun because I know on the other side what I get out of of going through adversity. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of a lot of times you know I look at it. People are out here trying to go five for five when you know I'm trying to go. 15 for 19 you know yes. I'm, I'm putting the shots up and i'm gonna miss some and that's okay yep but you know you, you got you got to get the shots up you got to try you got to try to shoot your shot in every situation and being okay with missing uh in life because that's part of the process for sure a hundred percent now how do my listeners how do they follow you on social media how do they follow your podcast and even buy your book yeah, for sure. So my podcast, Players Point Podcast, is on every podcast platform, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, Google Play, wherever you can listen to podcasts, you can listen to the Players Point Podcast. Um, as far as me personally, I'm on every social media platform at Malcolm Lemons, um, and also at my website at www.malcolmlemons.com. And then for the book, um, you can check out Lessons from the Game on Amazon. It's also on barnesandnoble.com. And um, got the next upcoming book, trying to get it out early next year. So um, I'll be updating on my social media profiles with those details uh, within the next couple of weeks. Beautiful, man. Well, again, thank you for sharing your story, your mindset, your energy. Uh, this was uh, this was a treat, and I know that my listeners are going to enjoy this. And so uh, thank you again, man. It was, it was an honor to have you on my show. I appreciate it, Grant. Thank you for the kind words. Thank you for having me on, man. <laughs>